Thanks for coming. All right, we're going to read the Bible in this time. Can I get you guys to please open up your Bibles to the book of Hebrews? To Hebrews. The passage is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. And I'll read this for us, and then we'll have the word preached to us. And just a reminder to everybody here that this is the word of God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a greater priest, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to, lo to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. Give us a couple of, oh, there we go. Don't give us a couple of seconds. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good day. Uh, for those who don't know me, uh, name's Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at Kingsway. Um, and yeah, like Peter said, if you're new or newish, uh, if you've been checking us out uh, as a visitor uh, once or twice in the last month or two, it's really good to have you here for the first time, or it's really good to have you back. Um, you've joined us as we jump into a uh, sermon series uh, around the topic of church. Um, I think it's quite appropriate that we talk about church, since what we're doing here is uh, church. And you've joined us, actually, uh, for our first uh, one of six uh, attributes of what we believe uh, a true church should have. And, of course, uh, uh, linked to that, we want uh, Kingsway Evangelical Church to also have as we grow uh, uh, together as a church community. So uh, today we're going to jump into our first uh, blueprint, uh, as it will be. But before I do, let me ask you, uh, who remembers last week's sermon? It's interesting, um, even for me as, as, a, as a pastor of a church, uh, if I really don't think, if I don't think hard, um, and I kind of just go, hmm, what was last week's sermon about? Uh, I find it a little bit difficult uh, to uh, recall, but hopefully some of you guys are better than I. So um, I'm going to ask you guys to yell out. Uh, the answer to this question. Um, hopefully, last week's sermon would have helped you uh, to answer this. Uh, what is a church? Remember, uh, Pastor Paul uh, preached on this topic, uh, and then he kind of articulated it as three metaphors of church. What were those three metaphors? Citizen, yes. So citizen being an embassy. Our church is an embassy. What was the other one? I heard another one. Family, yeah, I like that one, it's probably my favorite. Uh, church is a family. And lastly, temple. Oh, well done, guys. You guys are so much better than I. Uh, so that's what a church is. Uh, Pastor Paul talked about that in extensive detail. So if you weren't able to listen in on that, we have a podcast up and running. So uh, jump online and listen in on that. It was a good sermon. Um, let me ask you then a follow-up question. 
Uh, I know you guys are confident uh, to respond, so please respond to me. Uh, just yell it out. What does a church do? Not a trick question. It's very simple. A lot of things we do, but name some of those things. What was that? Gather? Uh, you just ruined the, the, the sermon series now. I mean, I mean, today I'm talking about gather. But let's talk, talk, think about just, just other things. Worship, that's a good one. Great one. Think about what we just did before. Yeah, we sing together. We hang out. We listen to a sermon. If you're a Christian and you're a member of this community, we, we look for ways to serve. You know, the list can go on and on. But as someone so astutely pointed out, uh, there is a way to answer both of these questions at once. So uh, what is a church? What does a church do? Um, spoiler alert, someone gave it away. It's gather, but let me, let me, I have it in my script, so let me just uh, unpack it. Uh, whenever we read the Bible uh, and come across the English word church, it's actually translated from another language called Greek, and that word is called ecclesia, uh, which in turn is literally translatable as gathering. See, uh, when we read the word church, or when we hear the word church, we think religion, right? But the word itself, ecclesia, is not a religious word. Um, at other times in the New Testament, in the New Testament section of the Bible, the same word ecclesia is translated in our English Bible not as church, but as assembly, as crowd, as gathering. Um, if you want a reference point, Acts 19.32 is an example. So, so what is a church? What does a church do? A church is a gathering. A church gathers. So you might think that this is uh, an obvious thing to point out. You might think, I mean, yeah, of course churches gather. That's what we're doing right here. And then 2020 happened. COVID became a thing. Government restrictions rolled out. Churches shut their doors and opened up YouTube accounts. Services moved online. Pastors preached to the camera rather than the congregation. And singing with the saints became singing to the screen. I don't know about you, but I initially was very excited uh, that we could uh, so-called you know, gather in this way online. But for me, the, the novelty wore off quite quickly. You know, if you think about it, waking up at 9.30 a.m. in the morning to attend service at 10 a.m. without any pants on and just wear a shirt, uh, which I may or may not have done, uh, was at first glorious. But many of us, I think a lot of us, eventually felt that something was off about this. Sitting at my on my couch or, or at my desk, staring at a screen and watching a service it was just a little bit different to physically gathering together. Now, those folks who are tuning in online, if you don't know uh, what I'm talking about, come join us uh, physically and you might uh, see uh, for yourselves. You see, uh, 2020 was uh, 
a year where we were forced to re-examine and ultimately begin to appreciate a lot of the stuff that we had taken for granted. Uh, whether it's on a holiday, we book a flight and we go overseas and we go uh, on a holiday uh, to a different country, or whether that might be uh, going into uh, the office, uh, taking it uh, for granted. Maybe you guys like working at home, some of you, so maybe that's not the case. But, you know, think about church, gathering together on church, uh, gathering together on Sunday uh, for church is something that a lot of us, if, especially if you grew up in church, we've done uh, regularly, week in and week out, and suddenly for a whole year we couldn't. Well, we're going to re-examine and appreciate, hopefully, this thing that we do here, gathering. That's what we're going to do today, to focus in on the blueprint of the church that we often take for granted. Churches gather. We're going to do this by asking two questions. All right, so two points if you're a note taker. First, uh, a more foundational one, uh, why gather at all? Why gather at all? Uh, followed by a, a practical one, a really tangible, practical way uh, that we can live this out. How do we gather well? We'll put it differently, point one, motivation. Uh, point two, application. Cool? So let's jump right into it. Ooh, but before we jump right into it, let me uh, start from verse 19 and read to, uh, through to uh, 21. So follow along. Uh, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, and it stops, let's stop there. Before we jump into the main points, I just want to briefly say this. If we as Kingsway are doing our jobs right, and I believe we are, uh, there will be among you uh, those who do not yet believe in Jesus. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing. We want more of you, and we're happy to have you, and we want you to check us out uh, on a week-to-week basis and join us. But who is the author of Hebrews addressing here? You don't need to yell it out this time. Just, just think in your minds. Brothers. In another translation, brothers and sisters. In other words, he's speaking, whoever the author of Hebrews might have been, he's speaking to his family of believers, his brothers and sisters. In this specific church community, he's speaking to them. So whatever he's about to say, he's speaking to the faith family, if you will. So let me be clear before uh, going any further. uh, Every motivation I am going to talk about, every application I'll walk us through, are, those, are for those who already, quote, have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, who are already convinced that we indeed have a great priest over the house of God. So if you haven't done this yet, before you buy into this, uh, these motivations for church gathering, uh, uh, before and more important than applying any of the things that we will be talking about, Believe in Jesus first. This is our desire and our hope and our plea to all of you who are here who have yet to believe in Jesus. Become a member of God's family so that we don't refer to one another as brothers and sisters just because the world kind of go, hey brother, hey sister, but, but truly 
as brothers and sisters bound, not by blood alone, but by the blood of Jesus. So so everything I'm about to say from this point, I'm speaking to my brothers and sisters in the room, faith family, people who have already placed their faith in Jesus, repented of their sins, and have now received the Spirit. Cool? So let's let's jump into it. Uh, The author of Hebrews gives Christians three different motivations for physically gathering, physically gathering with one another. And they're easily identified by a particular phrase, let us, let us. Now, if you look at, uh, if you have your Bibles open, if you look, uh, there's actually three let us's, uh, let us phrases. Uh, He's not giving, by the way, uh, he's not giving a single individual advice, right? Who Who is he addressing? Brother or sister? It's brothers. Let us. It's a plural thing, right? He's addressing the collective, the gathered group of Christians who are meeting together, hearing the letter read out to them, kind of like what we're doing here. As I preach back then, uh, they wouldn't preach. They would read the letter that the author of Hebrews uh, is reading out. Uh, It has written to them, excuse me. So uh, without further ado, let's jump into it. Uh, First motivation, we gather to draw near. Verse 22, let us, right, let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, approaching God in worship with each other gives us what? An assurance of faith, cleanses our hearts from an evil conscience, washes our bodies pure. You see, when Christians gather together, like we're doing here, when we gather together to draw near to God, there is something different about that compared to privately practicing our religion on our own. There just is something different. You might ask, why is that? Well, what's so different about physically gathering at church, Daniel? What's so different about it compared to, I don't know, listening to my favorite pastor's podcast at home? What about praying by myself in my room? What about singing along to City of Light or Shane and Shane in the car as you drive to work? What is the difference between those scenarios and what we do here? We're kind of doing the same thing, right? Let me draw your attention to the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus speaks to his disciples, and Jesus encourages them to gather together. And this is what he says on that topic. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. There am I among them. Jesus explicitly says here, when followers of Jesus gather in his name, with one another, he is here. He is there. You see, we encounter Jesus in a real and genuine way when we draw near in worship. I'm not saying if you, you know, worship God privately in your room, God is somehow not there. But, but there seems to be, in the New Testament, something special, something particular about 
Christians gathering together, and that in relationship with Jesus' presence. You see, one author puts it another way, and I think this is quite well said. There is nowhere else on earth than the church that you will be nearer to heaven. A realization of the real and tangible presence of Jesus, that is what does something in our hearts. We can't quite explain how it happens, but we can be sure, according to this verse, of what his presence does. When we gather together like this and approach God and draw near to God together, full assurance assurance of faith, cleaning of our conscience, a washing of our bodies. We gather to draw near for where two or three are gathered in Jesus' name. Be sure to know that he is there. Secondly, we gather to hold fast. Verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our faith without, uh, confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. You see, the assumption behind this encouragement is that in this particular group of church, uh, in this particular group of Christians who gathered, there were some in that gathering, in that church, that were wavering. There were people in that church where, where their hope in Jesus was, was shaken. Now, you don't have to look 2,000 years in the past to relate to this. As Christians, look to last week. Right? If, you, if you've been a Christian for more than a week, I tell you what, we know what it's like to waver in our faith, to go up and down, to ask ourselves, is this really true? Goodness, is this really worth it? Jesus demands a lot from me. Is, is, this, is this really the right thing to do? I mean, tell me that we don't hear those thoughts from time to time. I'm a pastor and I do, I do all the time. You, you see, doubts about our faith come and they go. But these doubts get louder and louder and are the strongest when we are isolated, when we are alone, when the only voice we hear is our own. Gathering together with other believers reminds us that when faith gets hard, and it will get hard, when our hope wavers, and it does waver, look around you. We are not alone. We are not isolated. Christianity is a personal religion. Yes, it is. And how great it is that we, as individuals, have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. But it is never a private one. You see, a private faith is all too often a faith that wavers. Or worse yet, It has the potential, when you feel isolated and alone, to change into something that shows no resemblance to the faith that you once had. Or worse still, that faith disappears. You know, statistically, if you look at, studies have been done about church attendance and people who identify as Christians, 
that tend to skip Sundays. Two or three years out of church, that's how long it takes. Statistically speaking, the chance that you will remain a Christian, i.e. saying that you believe in Jesus, after not attending a church for two or three years, is very low. Or very high, excuse me. Christians hold fast and hold on to our hope because we have a family surrounding us that helps us hold on to it. Imagine this image. Every time you come to church, I encourage you to imagine as often as you remember it. Imagine the act of holding on to our hope as holding on to the rope in a, in a tug-of-war game. Yeah? We have on the other side our flesh, our sin, and the world. And leading that team, we have the devil. Imagine if you're standing alone in that game. How can you or any of us hope to match that strength? You see, when we gather here as a church community, we aren't standing alone, are we? We have our brothers and sisters on our side, tugging alongside us. And for good measure, we have Jesus as our captain, so we're not really going to lose anyway. We, we hold fast to our confession, without wavering, without giving any ground. Why? Well, because we are doing it together. Lastly, we gather to provoke. That's intentional, by the way, provoke. Uh, verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You see, I use the word provoke because in another translation of the Bible, that same word is translated provoke instead of stir up. And I think that's more accurate to the original word. And I also really like that kind of imagery, you know, provoke. It's, it's active. It's engaging. It's almost violent, right? In a good way, right? Some days, let's be honest, we just don't love as much as Jesus wants us to. Yeah? We're not that great at doing that. We, I mean, we'd like to, but we don't tend to. And sometimes, sometimes we honestly don't want to, right? Sometimes we just don't want to love. We know what we should do, but we don't end up doing it. Speaking of uh, doing things, I mean, some days we know what is good and right, but we do the other thing, right? We, we know we should do this, but we do the other thing. You see, if Christians are going to be good at loving people, then what Christian doesn't want to be more loving? And if we are going to be doing good to others and be a force for good in this world that we live in, and what Christian doesn't want to do that? We can't do it alone. We need other people to provoke us, poke us in the right way, to push us in the right direction. But we're talking about gathering. So what does this have to do with gathering? Because I could probably preach a whole sermon on uh, this idea of, you know, rebuking and so on. What does, it have to be, uh, what does this have to do with that? I mean, being corrected, 
being told to stop doing and start doing this and that, it doesn't really seem to fit with the typical picture of the church being loving and accepting. And it should be loving and accepting. So let's chat about this. You see, uh, being told that we are wrong and being told that we should change, who we hear it from makes all the difference, doesn't it? Who we hear it from. See, let's say that you had a foul mouth. Let's just say that you swore like a sailor. That's apparently a term that means swearing a lot. But anyways, uh, let's say you, you, you have a foul mouth. Imagine if just some rando on the street came out to you and said, oh, you should stop swearing. How do you reckon any of us would respond? I mean, the nice, nicest one of the ones of us would be, okay, and they just kind of awkwardly walk away. Ones with the temper would be like, would you say? And then, you know, we'll continue to do the thing that we're not supposed to do. But what if it was your closest mate? What if it was your best friend who's been there through thick and thin, who knows you, who knows your story, who loves you, and you know that they love you? Would you listen? Maybe, maybe not initially, it's like, but, but I'd hope and I would imagine most of, if not all of us, would hope to think that we are mature enough to eventually go, yeah, old man has a point, right? Yeah, old man has a point. Maybe I should stop saying these words, et cetera, et cetera. Who we hear it from makes it all the difference. See, gathering as a church opens you up to friendship. It opens you up to friendships that speak into each other's lives. If you don't gather with people, you won't listen to them. But if you gather with other Christians and do life together, that is what I hope our church continues and does better in doing life together, we'd hear each other out. Benefit of the doubt. Listen to their advice and be better at loving, and be better at doing what is right and good. Isn't that where we all want to be? So we gather to draw near to God, hold fast to our hope, and to provoke one another to love and good works. Next slide. Always. Always when I preach it, something goes wrong, right? Maybe it's me. Um, So, yeah, three motivations uh, I've just given. And I hope that these uh, three motivations have convinced you. Maybe just, maybe tickled you in a sense, uh, but hopefully convinced you uh, that physically a gathering is not only the definition of what a church is and does, but perhaps more importantly, Christian individuals need it, don't we? Now, let's say we are convinced. Church gathering is important. Yeah, I understand, Daniel. I kind of see where you're coming from. Yeah, I see. I want to be a, yeah, I, I be a better member of this church community 
You see, if you're a member of this church, and there's about, I think, 56 of us, these application points that I'm about to give you are specifically for you. So, you know, hear me. Uh, because you've already said, yes, this is my church family. Uh, this is my church. I am a member of this gathering. If that's you, you know, let's do it. But it, also, if you are a Christian, it's great to have you here, and you're kind of uh, in between churches, or you're visiting, and you're considering whether you can call Kingsway your home church, and I hope you are considering that. We, ne- we need more Christians here too. Um, you see, if you see yourself, you know, yeah, I see myself being a member of this church, uh, this is also for you to listen in on, okay? Uh, so, how can we be better at uh, being members of this church? How can, we be, how can we be better at gathering with other Christians? Well, let's look at some solid practical tips we can start applying. Uh, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. First application point, Christians gather regularly. In other words, members of Kingsway make every effort to physically gather every week on time. Let me throw out some numbers for you guys. I don't to uh, Kingsway members specifically. On any given Sunday, we are averaging about 82% attendance among our members. Out of the 11 times we have gathered so far, the average member has attended, uh, has attended nine out of the 11. If we keep this pattern through the year, out of the possible 52 Sundays, the average member, again, will attend about 42 times. Now, before you go, oh, these are good numbers, okay? These are great numbers. And I thank you. Honestly, I thank you from the bottom of my heart that, honestly, when I looked at, uh, when I jumped into these numbers, I was like, oh, what am I going to see? But I was pleasantly surprised and encouraged because you know what this shows me? This shows me that the majority of Kingsway members already have a conviction that church gathering is important. So well done. Can I encourage you to continue to do that? Right? We've met for 11 times. Let's keep going. To make every effort to gather here every week as much as it is within your power to do so. You see, let me throw out some other numbers here as well. I'm not saying that you need to attend every week. I won't attend every week. And I work here. I get it. I know our demographic. A lot of us are full-time workers. And full-time work is hard. A lot of us have families, and raising a family is incredibly joyful and incredibly tough at the same time. So, you deserve a holiday. Absolutely. Go on holidays. So let's say, about three or four times of the year, uh, three, or four, you know, three, or four Saturday, uh, three or four Sundays, excuse me, maybe will be missed because you go on holidays. Fair enough. We all deserve it. Let's say... Uh, you know, on an average year, on Sunday, three weeks, three Sundays, we might be sick. Some of us more, some of us less, but 
We're just talking about the median average. That's unavoidable if you're sick, especially with you know the current <laughs> uh, health climate going around. If you're sick and have a cough, watch watch online, guys. Yeah. Four plus three is seven. Fifty-two minus seven is forty-five. Yeah. So forty-five Sundays. At our current track record, the average member will attend forty-two. Let me give you a target for those who love, you know, KPIs. Can we aim for an average attendance of 45 Sundays out of 52? I think that's certainly doable. Again, make every effort to gather every week on time. Okay, there's no easy way to say this, so I'm just going to say it. Um, at 10 a.m., we are averaging about 19 members who are in their seats when service begins. Uh, this morning, I counted how many people were here. So that's not including members, it's guests uh, and so on. We had 24. I know we can do better than that. Look, again, I get it. Some of us find it harder than others to get ready on Sunday morning. Uh, look, I get it. Some of us have kids that just for some weird reason don't cooperate with the family on Sunday mornings. Look, some of us have long weeks and some of us work 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. It's tough. And Sundays may be only the realistic, uh, may, be only the, may only be, <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, may, uh, maybe the only day that you could maybe sleep in. Others of us, we, you know, live out in the sticks and, <laughs> I don't know, like the hills. <laughs> um, and it takes us 40 minutes to get to church. And sometimes there's traffic. Look, look I, I get it. I can, I can list the reasons. And, and some of them are legitimate. Some of them uh, maybe less legitimate. But we all have reasons for coming late to church. I get it. But whatever your barrier might be, can I encourage you, again, to make every effort to gather physically every week on time? Maybe ingrain in your minds that service is at 9.30 a.m. You know you're typically about 10 minutes late. If you think that church is at 9.30, you'll get it at 9.40. Done deal, right? Maybe wake up a little earlier and get to church on time. And after church, have a little snooze in the arbor if, if your work's busy, if, if, if you had a tough week. Or, or maybe plan ahead if you live super far and allow for you know, 10 minutes extra time to get here. Whatever your reason might be, that's up to you to figure out. But again, churches gather and... You know, um, we have this uh, joke running amongst uh, the pastors um, when the first song is sung, the room is empty, and after the third song is done, the room is full. We call it the miracle of the singing. So if you sit at the front and you're on time, you'll have about five people around you, and you look back as Peter you know, wraps up the, the prayer session in prayer, the room is, empty, uh, room is full. Why don't we try to change that? Yeah? So that those who sit in the front at 10 a.m. look back and it's chock-a-block full of people ready to worship God together. K 
Can we do that? I believe we can. So let's start with the basics. Show up to church on time. Let's be determined to show up. Not just when it's easy, but especially when it's a little bit difficult. Now to the second application. Christians gather supernaturally. Now to put it another way, Christians gather to build a gospel-driven community. See how I use the word supernaturally and gospel-driven kind of interchangeably? Uh, let me explain why. I reckon every, every person here, yeah, it's probably fair to say, every person here wants to be part of genuine community. A loving, welcoming community. Not just church you know, community, but just community in general. You know, so often, uh, when I talk to Christians here and outside of this church and ask them what they are looking for in a church, one of the first answers they come up with is almost always, does that church have good community? You see, we all want community. But what makes community in Kingsway different from all the other good communities that are out there, outside of the church? Well, the difference is that at Kingsway, we want to build a supernatural community as opposed to a natural community. So to define what a supernatural community is, let's define first what a natural community is. Imagine, let's call him Bob. Bob comes to church for the first time to Kingsway. And I approach him and say, hey man, how's it going? What brings you to church? Small talk, small talk, small talk tells me that he works in finance and he lives in Eastwood and he's a single guy who's you know, around 27, 28. And then I go, oh, that's awesome, Bob. Meet so-and-so and such and such. That person also works in finance. That person is also single and ready to mingle. Uh, jokes. Um, or, or, and that person also lives around the uh, Eastwood Epping area. You'll get along well with him. Chances are, He'll stick around in church, right? Because he just found people that are like him. They will have common topics of interest, probably get along, and maybe feel like they belong in our community as well. Yeah? But here's the thing. That scenario, that's a demographic phenomenon, not a gospel phenomenon. That person will stick around at church, whether he's a Christian or not, Right? You see, people who share a common demographic space tend to gravitate towards each other irrespective of their gospel convictions. And let me say before I... <laughs> that's not a bad thing. Let me just say that. It's great to have people who are like us come to this church. Look, my closest friends, I get along with them Large part because we have the same interests and we're the same age and, and so on and so forth. I'm sure you do too. So don't mishear me. I'm not totally dogging that. But Christians gather together not because we are demographically similar, but because our gospel conviction spans across demographic differences. You see, Christian community is not merely about having people who talk like us, think like us, and are like us, you know, 
in personality or otherwise, or in the same life stage. A Christian community is a people gathering together despite demographic differences because we share a common gospel conviction that Jesus is Lord. Where do I get this from? Ephesians 2.14 For he, that is Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In Christ, people who would not have any other reason to hang out with each other, let alone love each other, do so. Because what makes us gather together are not our interests, it's not our vocation, it's not even our culture. It is our faith in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, members of Kingsway, we should strive to love on and welcome in people who, if it weren't for our common faith, we would never see ourselves hanging out with them. You know, the first Christians were such a powerful movement because people who were from all different age groups, all different cultures, all different life experiences, who were actually, before they met Jesus, at each other's literal throats and killed one another, were doing life together. That is why the world stood in confusion and in awe of what was happening in the early church. Don't we want to be in a church that's like this? For the world that we live in now to watch in awe at what God is doing here at Kingsway? When everyone says, nah, it won't work, God says, it is finished. The dividing wall is gone. If diversity of demographics is possible in any other place, it should be right here in the church. Let me calm down a little bit. Now, ethnically speaking, we're obviously not quite there yet. I hope that we will be. It is my dream and desire that we will be, that we'll continue to move in that direction. But baby steps, guys, yeah? Let's start from what we already have. God has gifted us with age demographics, hasn't he? I think, generally speaking, in terms of age demographics, we are relatively diverse. You know, our youngest Kingsway member is 21 years old, and our eldest is 58. Can we gather in genuine community as people who are diverse in age and life stages? Can a 21-year-old genuinely spend time with a 58-year-old and call them brother? Yes. Absolutely. Because this kind of community only exists because Jesus is our peace who has made us, the 21-year-old and 58-year-old, the university student and the retired worker, one. Broken, uh, breaking down the dividing wall of hostility. That, you know, to be honest, is all too common in the world still. It's hostility between demographics we see every day. Just turn on the news. 
Again, it's not a bad thing to hang out with people that are naturally like us. So don't, don't, don't misunderstand me and start to not hang out with people who are not like you. That's not what I'm saying. But, but let me encourage us all to dig deep into our supernatural gospel conviction and treat people who are not naturally like us as family. So it's not to stop hanging out with people who are like us, but it's to add on top of that and start to love on and welcome in and befriend those who are not like us. We gather supernaturally, driven by gospel conviction. Let me end this talk with a third and final application. So we don't really have a conclusion today. It's more the third uh, application. So first application was Christians gather regularly, right? So members of Kingsway, we should gather. We should make every effort to gather physically every week on time. Second application, Christians gather supernaturally. Members of Kingsway, let's build a community that is not held together by natural interests alone, but glued together by supernatural gospel conviction. Now, third, Christians gather sacrificially. (laughs) I often joke uh, with uh, those of us here who are new to our church that since they're new, relax, enjoy the show, there's next to no responsibility for them here. We don't expect you to serve, just receive. We're, We're happy to serve you, we're happy to give to you, we're all about that. But enjoy it while it lasts, because if you become a Christian or you are a Christian and you join our church uh, and become a member of Kingsway, the more and more responsibility there might be for you. Uh, So, for example, did you guys know that Kingsway members park in a different location? See, members uh, without kids park about 300 meters down that away on the asphalt, past a grass patch that has scratched my car multiple times. We enter the school, not through the front entrance, but through the back entrance. Why do we do that? Well, because we want you as guests to get the best parking spots in the house. We want it to be easy for you to come check out our church. It's interesting. If you're a member of a golf club, you get members-only car spaces, right? Is that right? Let's say, let's say you do. And usually the members-only car spaces are, you know, the best in the car park. Well, at Kingsway... You also get members-only car spaces, except they're the worst uh, car spaces in the car park. Most of our members, even now, are regularly volunteering in the church gathering. Did you know that? Whether it's in a formal ministry, whether it's just helping out here and there, uh, whether it's packing up chairs or helping set up, organizing events like our women's and men's event, running our kids' program, which is running right now, one author says it quite nicely. Belonging to the church will always increase our obligations and decrease our independence. Now, this is just what this is, this is just another person saying this. Let's look at what the Bible says about this. Romans 12, 5. In Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each other belongs to all the others. Next, Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Galatians 6, 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith. Now, for good measure, let's bring it back to Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Whew. So why do Christians gather sacrificially like this? 
Why do Christians need to do or ought to do or want to be all these things? In Romans, Philippians, Galatians, and Hebrews. It's simple. Because we follow Jesus. Jesus did the same for us. See, the church is a place where Christ should be most visible. And it's singing. We exalt Christ. And it's preaching. We exalt Christ. And in the actions of his people, we exalt Christ. And if the defining act of Jesus was to serve and not be served and give his life as a ransom for many, it is a no-brainer that Christians that gather in his name do the same. You know, I've chosen to end with this application point because I think if we get this one right, if we get this one right, if we fully buy into this one, the other two are really only extensions. You see, if we're convinced that we gather sacrificially, gathering regularly becomes less of a chore. It's more of an act of love, isn't it? Because if we believe that we as individual members of the church, like Romans said, belong to all the others, coming to church is less and less about me and more and more about people sitting next to you. We won't be thinking to ourselves at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, oh, I'm pretty tired, had a rough week, might give this one a miss. But we'll be thinking, yeah, I had a tough week. But my Christian family needs me. I need to encourage them. I'm going to go to church because, because I love them. That's what we'll be thinking. And if we're convinced that we gather sacrificially, gathering supernaturally, goes from being the impossible to the inevitable. Because if we really believe that others are more significant than ourselves, we won't mind the discomfort of doing life with people who are different to us. We will welcome people who aren't the same life stage into our own lives. Differences that are only skin deep, ethnic identity, cultural preference. These once defining characteristics become less important as gospel conviction takes over. And slowly but surely, this is my hope, month by month, year by year, whether it takes two, three, five, 10, 20, 50 years, that those who gather in genuine community here in Kingsway will not be bound primarily and defined primarily by life stage or age group, ethnicity or culture, but by the shared love that we have for Jesus. Let's gather. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are weak. We know what the right thing is, and yet so often we fail to do it. We know it's right and proper to gather with the saints, to be encouraged and to encourage. But so often we find ourselves 
doing that other thing. Forgive us. Forgive us for thinking that church is about me. It's about Jesus and about others. And me, as the priority list goes, as far as the priority list goes, I'm right there at the bottom. Father, my prayer is that our church might not be driven by natural inclinations or motivations, but by biblical, supernatural conviction so that we might be able to gather here as the body of Christ under one Lord, one faith, one baptism, under Jesus, despite who we are, despite where we come from, despite our life story, united and bound by the blood of Jesus. Father, we give you thanks for the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. The fact that he came down from heaven and sought all of us is a remarkable, incredible, unbelievable truth. A truth that makes a difference. So Father, I pray that as the body of Christ meeting here at Hunter's Hill, as the closest that people get to glimpse heaven, as the place where it's closest to heaven, help us to mirror it accordingly. To gather, not because it's a hobby, not because we've done it week in and week out, not because of our friends alone, but because you are worthy, because others are worth it so that we might together build a church that really reflects the multiplicity of cultures, age range, life stages coming together in the image of revelation, every tribe, tongue, people group coming together to worship the Lamb. Father, we know that we won't get there fully, but we hope to take the steps in that direction. Help us, Lord, to be a church that gathers regularly, supernaturally, sacrificially, so that we might draw near, hold fast, and provoke one another to love and good works. I'll give you maybe a minute or two just to carefully respond in prayer to all that has been said. I won't lead us in prayer or anything like that. Just however the Lord directs you to do, do business with him. And we'll sing in a couple of minutes.